up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Reality Roundtable. Today, I got a special guest with me. I got my boy Aaron Green joining me. Aaron, I appreciate you What's coming. Going on, you know, tell What's people a little on, bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. My name is uh, Aaron Green uh, from Orangeburg, South Carolina. Um, graduate of the University well, Orangeburg Wilkinson High School. Shout out in the Graduate University of South Carolina in uh, 2016, and then graduated from the law school. Um, in 2019 and uh, relocated to Newark, New Jersey, where I'm the uh, associate counsel at the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice. So um, yeah, every, a lot of things have changed <laughs> the past month or so with a lot of our work, but we're still pressing forward uh, with trying to address the needs of uh, communities in New Jersey. Um, but yeah, really glad to be on here. Um, and uh, met actually, actually met Jonathan in my time at USC. You know, as you all know, I'm sure the people that are watching this. Uh, he's a good brother, um, definitely well invested in the, uh, in our people and uh, very knowledgeable brother and committed, very committed and uh, fearless too, I would say, you know, his brother, um, he doesn't just say this on the internet. I've seen him say this to people in positions of power so that you got to respect that, you know, we need more courageous voices um, to lift up the concerns of our people. So glad to be here with you, brother. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the kind of words that you said about me now. Considering that you uh, graduated from the law school at USC and considering that, you know, you're doing social justice work, you're doing social justice work now with everything that's going on, like with the whole coronavirus thing, how do you feel like, you know, people, how do you feel like this situation is being handled, you know, in terms of like a social justice point of view? Brother, man, there's so much I can say about that. Um, honestly, man, um, First, I want to say this. I think that there are a number of community activists and organizations that are um, filling in gaps and finding out ways how they can fill in gaps um, because we have so many issues going on right now, right? We have massive unemployment. You're talking about millions of people that don't have jobs. Um, so that's income that's not coming in to provide for their family. Um, then we have, you know, people that are working um, in essential jobs where Amazon warehouses, uh, grocery stores, and are paid low wages, right? And they're not given protection, paid leave. Some people are not given the protections they need, so they're being exposed uh, uh, to the virus. Um, you know, just think about the inequalities of our children that are not able to go to school. So some kids may not be receiving the um, uh, adequate uh, meals, right? You know, some kids rely on the, the, the breakfast and lunch at school. And uh, we have massive poverty inequality in our, in our communities. So, we see how these epidemics, you know, you could say a pandemic in the country, we look at how it impacts our communities. Um, and also the prison system, where we have people that are incarcerated um, at a very high rate and are not treated like human beings because the constitution says that if you are incarcerated, you are pretty much a slave in America. And we're seeing these atrocities in prisons all across this country. In South Carolina, where incarcerated women are being used to make masks. We're seeing how incarcerated people are used to build graves uh, for a few, few dollars an hour. Um, I mean, it's all over the country. We're seeing how they're, they're being used, their labor is being used to protect, but they're not being protected themselves. Um, so my brother, there's so many, um, uh, so many things that are going on um, and it's important for people to still be engaged um, and understand that your voice um, has power, you know, calling some of these officials, um, writing emails, putting demands, they have an impact. Uh, we're seeing in New Jersey, 
where um, the governor's commuting sentences because there have been organizations that have been putting pressure on him. Um, we've seen how um, some city officials have put uh, uh, ended evictions and ended uh, uh, when it comes to bills and rent. Because it's very important, right? Because you look at the government, they gave $1,200 in a stimulus. Mm -hmm. What is that, right? What is that? That's really like a crumb um, to people, right? Because you think about the bills, um, the, the expenses they have, especially when they're out of work now. $1,200, but you give billions of dollars to corporations. Um, you give billions of dollars to these other entities, but for the people, it's $1,200. Um, and we're seeing that capitalism does not work, right? Capitalism does not work. It's always been an enemy of the sufferers, especially been an enemy to our people. Um, and we're seeing it right now. And I think that what is going to have to happen is that people are going to have to intensify the pressure and say that we demand better um, in our country. We need reparations. We need not just monetary, but structural reparations. If you can find trillions of dollars to bail out corporations, why can't you find trillions of dollars to help black people, native people, um, and other communities that have been oppressed um, uh, 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 by the American empire? Um, universal basic income, um, housing. Housing should be a human right. We have empty houses, we have hotels, we have empty beds, but we have people sleeping in the street. Why is that happening in the richest country uh, in the world? We have universal health care to be a human right. So there are many, there are many, 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 many different things that are being exposed. Um, but um, I am seeing the ills of this government um, even before Trump, right? These systems were in place and our people were suffering even before him. Um, and we have to understand that we have to attack this system. It's not just getting one person out of office that's not going to fix it, right? It's going to have to be a, a total systematic change to provide coverage for our people. I know it's a lot, brother, but it's, it's so much, man. But you can ask me any specific, I can go more in detail, but it's a lot, man, that's going on. And with the uh, yeah, prison system, to happen to change. And, with the, and you talked about like the prison systems, like I saw on your Instagram page that prisoners are being educated within the prisons, but they're, they don't have masks on, they don't have gloves on, they're being susceptible to the virus. Like, what is yeah. your take on that? Yeah, man, it goes back to the to the point of um, this prison industrial complex we have in America, right? That is an extension of uh, uh, the first incarceration, you know, in our in our in our in our when it comes to black people, when it comes to our kidnapping uh, from Africa and brought here to be on plantations and working without compensation for um, a very long time on those plantations, and they extended to the convict leasing system. And now, you know, extending to the per current prison system, which disproportionately impacts black people, um, disproportionately impacts brown people, and disproportionately impacts poor people. Um, and this system extending off, like I said, the 13th Amendment, which says slavery ends, but if you are incarcerated, you are a slave. So we look at how what's going on now with this epidemic. We have prisons in Alabama, where I showed the video on my Instagram, where there's no way to social distance because there are hundreds of bunks in one building and people are living in these conditions where they don't have clean, they don't have clean water. They don't have anywhere to self-isolate. Um, they don't have, some people don't have masks, cleaning supplies, hand sanitizer. You had Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, everybody's praising him, but he had, he's ha he still has people in prison making hand sanitizer that they cannot even use for themselves, making it for the state of, uh, of New York. You have in Texas, where the uh, Department of Corrections is making 
incarcerated people use cotton to make masks, 25,000 masks, where they're making, we're making those for uh, a couple cents an hour. Um, in Washington State, you had the same thing going on uh, where people are making garments. Um, so they are, again, being used to protect an outside world, right? But there's no protection for them. And what we're looking at, the potential of, if we do not take serious action of releasing people um, in, in massive numbers, um, we will see this virus spread and it will have a horrible impact because there will not be ventilators in prisons. There won't be medical staff in prisons to attend to those that are suffering from this because they're not treated like human beings. The constitution says they, they could be treated like slaves. So you have to understand, we have to understand that, right? Because we look at our systems in South Carolina, 62% of the prison population is black. That's a model that we see across this country. It's, it, it's people that look like us that are in, put into these systems um, that, uh, that oppress them. And if you look at the American history, are black people the original kidnappers, right? Were we, we, were we um, putting people on trees and hanging them? No, we were not. So to think that we are a criminal people, criminality is just inherent. No, that's not true. That's not in us. America has determined what they think criminality is and they put this into these systems. Um, there's no excuse why 62% of the prisoner population in a state like South Carolina that is 28% black, um, it's horrible. We have, the, we have the largest prison population in the world, um, you know, in the entire world, the United States, the quote unquote land of the free, right? So I think that I just implore people that are watching to, you know, really, you know, uh, advocate for these issues. I know, and, and Jonathan, if you, you know, we can, you can, maybe send some stuff that I've been posting and send some other stuff. We could talk about getting this information to more people that may, that may ask. Um, but please, if you could lift this up, because um, if we do not lift these up, we cannot expect these uh, government officials to take this on out of the kindness out of their heart. No, it's not going to happen. We have to demand better. Uh, we have to demand for the protection of our people and the coverage. So. Now you mentioned the state of Alabama. And when it comes to you, you were at a church when Michael Bloomberg came. And when Bloomberg spoke to that church, there were people who stood up and turned their back to him. And you were one of those people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, out there in Selma, like, what was that moment like for you? You know, being able to make such a powerful statement like that. And and with a statement like that, you know, he he dropped out of the race maybe like a day or two later. Yeah, brother. Um, it was crazy, man. Uh, actually, you know, that was not anything we discussed. It just kind of happened naturally. So, you know, Brown AME Chapel is, is the, the meeting place. It was a meeting place um, uh, when, you know, 55 years ago when they marched in Selma. And uh, so, you know, to get in that space was, was powerful to be there in that church. Um, you know, there were a lot of uh, dignitaries there, um, a lot of politicians, um, you know, news media, every news media outlet you could think of was in that space. Um, to be there was just like, wow. And, um, you know, when Michael Bloomberg uh, got up, you know, he first walked in, I just kind of put my head down uh, because, you know, I, I, I'm not, uh, when, you, when you consider what he's done to, uh, to people um, in New York, especially our people in New York and his, his track record, man, it's, it's, it's hard to grapple with, right? And uh, so he walks in, you know, and um, 
He gets up, starts talking, and it's just very condescending um, mm-hmm. the way he's speaking. You know, he talked about the way he was. People approached him about stuff he's done. And he said, "Well, we don't have to agree with what everything," and you know, not really um, showing any remorse for all that you know he's done to our people is is one of those things where he felt like he could just buy his way um, into the black community or buy his way into the White House. Um, and it, I guess it seemed like that for a lot of people because he was buying off a lot of politicians. Um, and some people, you know, accepted those crumbs. Um, I call them crumbs from Michael Bloomberg. Um, but, he, you know, he was getting up, he was talking and, um, you know, I, just, I was just shaking my head the entire time. And then uh, uh, our director, um, which is like my mentor, your brother, Ryan Haygood, he gets up and I look and um, he's looking back and I'm like, what is he looking at? I said, oh, and then, you know, I looked at him, you know, got a head, gave him a head nod. And then me and my colleague, Retha, we both got up and joined him. And um, there was another sister who we did not know. She got up and then the whole team got up um, and you could just hear the gasping in the room. People were like, oh, like the, the news media ran to the back trying to get pictures. Um, it's like one person was like, it's a church, it's a church. <laughs> but mostly everybody was kind of like, you know, like, wow, like, you know, this is really happening. And uh, from my understanding, you know, I couldn't see him, but from what someone told me afterwards is that he was, um, he was just shocked. He was baffled. He was just, he was struggling with his words. He couldn't believe what was happening. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those moments, man, that it just happened. Um, organically and when I turned around and I felt so much emotion too because I thought about you know the sacrifices of our people and the stances they took um and um you know that really motivated me you know to stand and to really you know take that stance you know with the 16th richest man in the world net worth um you know but I thought about you know the um stop and frisk man um the redlining um the spying on Muslim communities, man. Um, just the oppression that he has continued, um, and that oppression signifies what happened to Selma. So, you know, I just—it was just one of those moments where it had to happen. And also in a church, right? Mm-hmm. I think we said about a lot of times these politicians come into church and they just come in with a free pass, and it's like there's nothing, no type of accountability. Um, they just come in and do their drive-bys. And, and leave, right? They just, that's what they want, the black vote. They feel like they just come in and get it. There's no accountability. And it was just one of those moments, man, where, um, you know, we were just taking a stand. Um, me personally, you know, it was just like, you know, that's how I felt. You know, I can't speak for everybody, but that's how I felt, you know, just taking a stand against that system um, and these people that um, continuously oppressed us, man. So I, I think it was a powerful moment. It happened organically um, and um, was really moved by the amount of uh, support we received from people, like all the messages. I received uh, just seeing it across all the airwaves I was like well I didn't expect all that to happen um but you know it was one of those moments man, you know that uh, the uh, to uh, the ancestors man the people that, that that set the example of what it means to take a stand um and to um you know really really stand for something right and have courage and willingness to um not turn to the team to for us as a team to just even though it happen organically we all stood together as a team right so that's that's love man that that was that was one of those moments it was just powerful bro it was just powerful man you know i agree i appreciate you doing that you know highlighting everything that you just did because um 
with with all his policies, you know, especially the whole stop and frisk thing, you know, for him to come into this race and, you know, claim to be a quote unquote Democrat and come into black church and act like, you know, that he's somebody who is for us. Yeah. No, that that's really a slap in the face. And what's really a slap in the face is that people who are the head of that church would invite a man with that kind of track record to come in. Not only with somebody who has a history with stopping friends, but redlining as well. Mm. Yeah, brother. Like it's it's one of those things where we gotta we gotta hold we gotta hold people accountable, man. We can't be so forgiving. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like um, you know, one of my favorite poems, it talks about love your enemy, love your enemy, but when will you love yourself? Mm-hmm. Right. It seems to always be this forgiveness for politicians. Right. They can just say sorry. I mean, you think about Bill Clinton, the crime bill. I'm sorry, y'all. No, what, what is sorry going to do? Is it going to change the, the impact you've had on our people, the, the amount of lives you destroyed? No, you have to be held accountable for what you've done. Mm-hmm. And if you're not being welcomed into our community, so be it. You know, because you, you, didn't, you didn't welcome us. You didn't welcome. There were so many black men and women's lives you destroyed. They were not welcomed into America. They were put into cages because of your policies. Mm-hmm. Because of your policies, Bill Clinton, because of your policies and many others. You know what I'm saying? And have, we, have, we, we can't be afraid to have that energy because if people are harming our people, why are we so forgiving? Mm-hmm. You know, we have to take a stand, you know, and, 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 and that is, um, you know, the tradition that, we've, that we come from. If you look at not, not everybody, but, you know, uh, we, do, we have had many people who, 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 who you know, really put, um, you know, uh, the collector first. And I think sometimes what you have is you have gatekeepers and you have people who are looking for self and they'll say, no, we stopping and frisk our people. But, hey, he's offering me, ooh, he's offering me a couple thousand dollars. So I'm going I'm to forget all that and I'm going to take these crumbs. Uh-huh. I'm going to say that, oh, Michael Bloomberg is, he's a changed man. You know, I, I think that that is a, uh, that is a horrible way to, to, to live. I don't see how people um, live with themselves, look in the mirror, because what is that worth, right? I mean, even talking about Good Friday, man, we on Good Friday, not trying to preach, but I mean, you know, Judas, man, sold out for a couple crumbs, a couple pieces of silver, right? You know, like, you know, it's just that, that same, that, that mentality, man, is dangerous. You know, um, why sell out? Why not buy in? Why not buy into the people? Instead of selling out, you know what I'm saying? Why, you know, don't sell, don't sell, so don't sell so fast. What costs so much, man? Uh-huh. You sell it. You selling your, you selling yourself. You selling your principles out. You don't have to do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you speak about, you spoke about the crime bill just now, yeah. and the Democratic nominee was the author of the crime bill, Joe Biden. Now, yeah. a lot of people would say that, oh. Uh, you should vote for the lesser of two evils when it comes to Biden and Trump. But uh-huh. for me, I'm the type of person like I can't vote for evil, period. Even if it is a lesser mm. of two evils. Like, why should I have to always choose between evil? Mm. Mm. Are you speaking something? Um, this is Aaron speaking as Aaron, so I'm not speaking for my organization I work for. But um Yeah, man, I I I I definitely hear where you're coming from. I'm not I'm not, I'm not gonna tell you. Um, mm-hmm. to come off your principles because I think that um, when we look at it, regardless who gets in office, yeah, we're gonna have to be ready to fight mm-hmm. because uh, justice is not coming from Donald Trump. Justice is definitely not coming from uh, Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not coming to help our people, right? Um, and also considering uh, the track record of both of them, right? Look at Donald Trump's track record 
Uh, even before he got he got in office, right? What he did with uh, the exonerated five and all the the racist policies he had in New York when it came to housing, um, we mm-hmm. knew his track record, but also considered Joe Biden's track record, right? The author of the crime bill, the author of many um, uh, criminal justice policies that hurt so many of our people, and that's one of the things that frustrated me, Jonathan, during this time was because people were welcoming him in, like he didn't do anything to our people. Mm-hmm. No accountability. He said, just vote for Joe. Here's Joe. Where's the accountability for what he did to our people? Do you, do, you know, and that's, for me, I feel that fire. It's like, yo, wait, he hurt our people. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That, that genocide, a new form of enslavement. And, there's, and we can't, and we, and we raise those issues, there's pushback saying, whoa, why y'all raising those issues? Joe, you know, that happened 20 years ago. <laughs> people kill me when they say that that happened 20 that's only 20 years and i don't care if it happened 400 years ago those are people's lives who are still i know people now still in prison or have gotten out of prison that were impacted by joe biden's policies mm-hmm. that lives were altered and we cannot just overlook that because we have some privilege because we didn't experience it ourselves mm-hmm. right or because we may get some political clout so I, I definitely feel you on that man i can understand why some people may say man i can't vote for I definitely ain't vote for no Donald Trump. I definitely ain't vote for Joe Biden because look at what he's done to our people, right? And I think that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in the voting right space, so I encourage you to vote. I, I encourage yeah. everyone to utilize their vote. Um, but I think what I encourage, and, and, and uh, what I encourage uh, more also is that if you're going to vote regardless, be ready to resist. As soon as you cast that vote, be ready to um, resist, whether it's, the person, the president, the mayor, the you know, uh, people on city council, really understand what is going on in your communities and hold these people accountable, right? Because it's, it's, it's so much where we give our vote away, but these people are not going to be held accountable. What's going to happen to our community, right? You know what I'm saying? If you vote for, for Joe Biden, you don't hold accountable. What's going to happen? What are you going to get for your community? The same thing, the same thing will happen over again. You, you, you got to understand that these politicians, they don't work unless you move them, you put pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm, 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 I'm not in the mindset that if you get someone else in that things are going to change radically, look at American history. You know, when has things changed from the white house, the white house is like the big house, right? That's not any, all of our change has come from us in the community organizing and pushing, you know what I'm saying? I think this misconception that Abraham Lincoln emancipated slaves, he would not have emancipated us. He only did it because they saved the Union, right? Because black people actually helped save the Union when they joined the Union Army and fought. But mm-hmm. also that push for slavery, that's about abolitionists, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, they were, they were putting pressure on Abraham Lincoln before to free us, right? So that came about because us pushing, we look at the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, that came from people suffering and dying and, and, and protesting for to be treated like human beings. Lyndon B. Johnson and these other politicians didn't wake up one day and say, oh, we want to give black people civil rights. We want to give them voting rights. No, that was pressure. Fannie Lou Hamer and others, they put pressure. So we can't sit back and expect the Democrats, the Republicans, whoever, to do something. But we have to decide ourselves if we want it. And if we want it, we have to go get it. Yeah. And what what, um, kind of disappoints me is politicians, you know, that look like us, mainly uh, Jim Clyburn, Steve Benjamin, both respectively, you know, endorsing one endorsing Biden, the other endorsing Bloomberg. When mm. people who who like hold power like that endorse yeah. guys like that, 
like I feel like that sends the wrong message to our community, you know, saying that even though that those people did do wrong by us, we should still give them our vote. Hmm. Yeah, speak on it, brother. Um, I agree with you, man. I agree with you. I think that um if people were going to endorse, if you have like for instance, the narrative was what? That Clyburn changed the election. That was mm -hmm. the narrative, right? Yeah. Changed the election with if you know you have that much power, why not the Congressional Black Caucus? Why not black mayors and other entities come together and say, hey, we got a lot of power. Why, why don't we come up, we, we, go to the we go to the community, we meet with organizers and community, people in the community, we come up with demands uh -huh. and say, we're holding our endorsement until you meet these demands, until these demands are on your agenda, your first 100 days in office, these demands for the black community. Uh -huh. If you hold them, why are you not doing that? Right? Yeah. That's what we should be doing. Instead of trying to endorse people so we can get debate tickets, or we can get positions in their cabinet, or we can get some finances. Right? I mean, we saw that in South Carolina, how some of these politicians were getting paid crazy. The LLCs mm -hmm. getting 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 60,000. The thing is, like, man, like, people, black people sacrifice so much to get you in office. Why can't you organize and strategize to utilize that power? You look at South Carolina, 60% of the Democrat block is African-American, right? And it's like, you could really change the way, not only the, the candidates, but the Democratic platform. I think that's something that people need to understand is that the Democratic platform is the mm. thing to really focus on. I hope we can strategize going forward about that is that no matter who the candidate is, the platform is decided by the committee. Mm -hmm. Whoever the is they have to follow they've got to follow that platform so when we have people in south carolina or, or, or in, in other places black people in these positions we gotta we gotta really hold them accountable and say hey what are you doing for us what are you doing for your people instead of looking out for individual ascension what are we doing for collective and uh i, I agree with you but i think it sends the wrong message i think it makes people confused when you're coming out and endorsing people um, without any type of accountability, any type of um, communication with the community, no type of demands, um, not holding your endorsements to push these demands until they're, they're sought through. I mean, I mean, it's just, yeah, man, it, it really looks like people are out for only a personal gain, man, instead of the people. And, um, like, during the primary season when uh, it came time for uh, South Carolina to vote, I can't tell you like how much media was in South Carolina, like just trying to talk to black people like all over the state, trying to see like what we were thinking. And like a few a few of the media outlets talked to me. They didn't print what I said though. I probably was a little too real for them. But like they asked me, yeah, they asked me like what I wanted in the candidate. I said I want a candidate who um will provide tangibles for my community, my community specifically. And they asked like who was going to get my vote. And I, I said Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer got my vote. Reason is because one, he's an environmentalist, meaning I can I can pretty much count on him to you know fix the clean water situation. That's that was something for me that uh, I could bank on. But it wasn't until like a couple of days before the election that I found that he invested in prisons. Yeah, private prisons. Yep. And also, he has said that um he. He he seemed like he was for reparations. I mean, he wasn't afraid to mention it. So that was one. That was another reason he had got my vote. And like he, mm -hmm. I felt like he was the one candidate I could go to the poll and vote for with a clear conscience. Even though like that whole prison system that that is messed up. But I feel like you know 
with the people he had around him, you know, a mentor of mine named Johnny Cadero, you you know him. Yeah, but, uh, that's a good, he's a good dude. But um, I feel like, I feel like that uh, Johnny's not gonna endorse you unless, you know, you actually, you know, acquiesce to some of, some of the demands of the community. And I just felt like I held his endorsement like in high esteem more than I did the endorsements of like a Jim Clyburn or uh, Steve Benjamin. Cause I feel like Johnny is a man of integrity. Mm. Mm. You want to speak on that on the Tom Steyer? <laughs> oh, Tom Steyer thing? Um, well, it just seems like he, he spent a lot of, he spent a lot of money in South Carolina. It seemed like he was, he was, um, he was really interested in like hearing what black people had to say. Because like at first when he was asked about reparations, he was talking about like, oh, I don't know. Oh, there needs to be a study or whatever. Next thing you know, like on one of the base days, he came out and said, like, I am for reparations. I am for cash payments. Now, when you say something like that, I feel like I can at least work with you then. Mm. I, can yeah, make, um, I can maybe get a few things done with you. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be real with you, bro. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you know, you have right vote for you vote for, but I think yeah. Tom's tire was, uh, I'm beyond, I think he was giving lip service, just knowing his track record. Mm -hmm. uh, that billionaire class, I think he was just saying whatever he needed to say to get done. But I think also, um, you know, the, um, there, there is a, uh, there's documentation that shows every expense that a presidential campaign makes. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I did some research and I think I saw some of the reasons why some people were supporting, um, uh, some of these candidates. Tom Steyer, Michael Bloomberg, because some of the people were getting paid to endorse. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, man, I, I think that, you know, Tom Steyer, man, I, I really I really didn't take his presidential campaign serious, really much at all. Just knowing his track record. Um, mm -hmm. um, that, um, I think he was saying whatever he needed to say to try to get um, support for um, uh, Black people in the South Carolina. Um, but, yeah, man, I think that... Uh, for me, it just goes back to the, the, the accountability thing. You know, I think it's important to vote. It's, it's important to show out for voting and get people registered. Because um, I do I do also advocate for the voting rights for people that are currently incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And uh, talking to many of them, they, they, they really want their voting rights because they know the impact it will have. But we also, when we look at voting, right, we have to talk about, you know, there's a lot of effort pushed on the presidential campaigns, which is real. But we have to look at, you know, uh, these, these state races and also local city councils, yeah. right? I mean, um, in, in Newark, they're thinking about universal basic income. Um, I know in Chicago, they're, they're talking about um, using um, money from the uh, legalization of marijuana, using some of that money to just go specifically to the black community. Mm -hmm. um, we look at some of our, our, our epidemics in our community, um, whether it was the housing crisis in Columbia, right? That's a local mm -hmm. issue. Uh, where people were living in um, housing that had a, a gas leak. Those are local things that, that impact us on a daily basis. And um, there's a lot of uh, power that your city council holds. There's a lot of power that uh, the, the, the mayor holds. There's a lot of power that, you know, um, uh, other officials hold. But these turnout rates are, are kind of terrible, mm -hmm. right? You have a large turnout rate, not large, not super, not as comparable to other countries, but you have a significant turnout rate for the presidential election. But Man, some of these turnout rates for city council are just wow. You like, did anybody even vote? Mm -hmm. And that's where you, you see a lot of power, man. Like, really, if you look at even with these uh, responses to COVID, mm -hmm. right? 
see how different city councils are um, uh, making policies that impact, uh, you know, um, people that lost their jobs, uh, um, feeding programs. Um, these are things you're going to see on a local level. And you don't have that necessarily um, that accountability to be able to do certain things. Like even in Columbia, right? Many people don't know that um, there was a COVID bill passed and half the money went towards uh, police retention, uh, police recruitment, um, police equipment. $3 million, $3 million that the city council in Columbia passed, right? And that happened. And that and that money could have went towards something else in regards to uh, vulnerable communities that need things, right? So I I, I, I think that, uh, you know, as much as the, the presidential election is pushed, I really believe the local elections have to be really, really pushed and for people to get involved and, and regardless, hold people accountable. Um, yeah. Um, and also, too, I mean, I, I don't want to see this happen again. I think this could happen is that, you know, people are going to be blaming each other for the election. Like, y'all didn't get up and vote. Y'all didn't do this. Y'all didn't do that. Y'all didn't do that. And I think um, uh, I, I don't I think the question is going to be, too, right? I mean, if you want people to show out to vote at a high level, you have to be able to engage them, right, um, as a candidate. But beyond the, the politics of it. Um, if you want to see someone win, you have to be able to call people and tell them why they should vote. Or we can't knock on doors now, but do that. But I think it's, you know, I just don't want to see that tension um, that I saw in 2016, sometimes in the community, people blaming each other. like, Oh, this person, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. You know, and um, there, there's a lot of blame to go around in regards to the system. But I, I think to blame someone that is uh, kind of fed up with the system, um, I'm not necessarily going to blame them. I mean, I think that I would uh, um, have conversations with them and try to encourage them, but I, I can't. I can't really blame people for being uh, really uh, not trustworthy of the system. Mm -hmm. uh, also, being worn out of this system. We gotta, give, we gotta give them a reason to vote. We gotta give them a reason to get engaged. We gotta mobilize. Right? Mm -hmm. And um, you talked about like how like our people, how black people are being affected by this whole thing. Um, did you know that in uh, Texas, they made a law saying that if you're coming from Louisiana, like they can just stop you at any time and like mm. detain you and take you like to jail. And like sometimes like they're not even giving bail to people. Yeah. Like how, like how do you, f and then like there's another um story where two, there were two black gentlemen who were kicked out of a store by a cop for wearing masks mm. in this pandemic. Yeah. And um like like they said that um even in Chicago that black people were seventy percent of the COVID nineteen deaths or only thirty percent of the population. Like mm. like how do you do you feel like this uh pandemic is being used in a way to criminalize us further than what we already are being criminalized? Hmm, that's a good question, bro. Um yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I don't know if you saw in Baltimore, they're using um, planes mm -hmm. uh, fly over the black community um, mm -hmm. going to, to fight on, quote unquote, fight crime. So literally spying, violating um, their rights mm -hmm. and privacy. Um, I think, yeah, I think you were going to see um, um, departments and government agencies try to utilize this pandemic to expand um, their access into our lives. I mean, we saw this with, um, after September of 11, mm -hmm. uh, there were a lot of uh, rights that were just thrown out, you know, uh, out of out of fear tactics, right? You know, um, they were able, now the government is able to do stuff that 
you probably didn't imagine, right? In regards to the um, being able to, um, uh, you know, look, you know, look into what you're looking at or your phone, access to your phone. Um, in the, the the Muslim community in New York, man, they were spied on for years. Um, the uh, NYPD spied on them. Um, the FBI had over 50,000 informants in the Muslim community at the site. You know what I'm saying? So it's like these things that they're, that they're engaging in um, is uh, very alarming. And I think what we're seeing now um, is alarming as well. So, it, you know, the fact that we're seeing this, I think what's going to be responsible of is that the organizations and act, advocates and um, elected officials uh, that are, uh, are seeing this, we have to fight against it, right? I think that um, it's easy to use these times of where people are being uh, harmed or uh, uh, there's a, a pandemic to try to expand uh, these rights. Uh, you know, uh, it's it, 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 it's something that that definitely has to be um, uh, to be fought against, man. For sure, I think you're right on the money with it, uh, especially when it comes to our community. Mm -hmm. right? Because when you could control people's uh, movement, you could control what they do. You can, you know, all that man is, is, is not good. It's not good for the for the long term um, impact and effect of people. Because it not only that, you look at uh, the black paper. Um, that was a, a, a document in the government. They were spying on black activists uh -huh. during the Trump administration, but they won't release the document. But there's there's actually a track record of them spying and intruding on movements within the black community currently today, not just 50 years ago during Quarantel Pro, this is happening now. Um, so all that, yeah, all that, man, is, is, is real because it, it impacts you. It, it takes away your, your, your rights, um, your liberties, um, if you have any, if, if the few liberties we may have, right? Um, yeah. Puts you in a police state, right? Mm -hmm. that we are in a police state, but it expands it. And um, you talked about like using this pandemic to like harm our people. Um, the push for a vaccine is really heavy right now. And mm -hmm. you have people like Bill Gates and there were these two French doctors who were talking about like trying to get a vaccine but testing in Africa. And it's gotten yeah. so bad that the uh, head of the World Health Organization had to come out and say that Africa is not an experiment. Like we're not a testing ground. Like you're not, you're not just gonna mm -hmm. come up in here and test on us. Like what are your feelings towards, you know, them wanting to test a vaccine in Africa. Bro, that's uh, that's like some Christopher Columbus type joint, man. Like, you know, just colonizing, bro. I think it's really inhumane. It violates so many human rights. Um, it's barbaric. Mm -hmm. You know, utilize uh, people of Africa, African descent, you know, uh, to use them as, as testing grounds for this vaccine. Because if you're testing it, right, it, it reminds you of what the Tuskegee experiment, because we understand, and, I, and, and people will, are, you know, kind of like, oh, why are people against vaccines, this and that. We look at our history, man, the Tuskegee experiment, we look at so many experiments on the black body, uh -huh. right? In Africa, in, in America, like, there's been so many times where our bodies have been used and abused, man, you know, by science, not just on the plantation, not just in the prison, but by science. And I think um, it was really powerful to see people come together and fight against it. But it's just alarming to, in a sense, because what, what else has happened, right? When you look at Bill Gates' involvement in Africa of him trying to control the population, saying that families have to, fam they have to family plan, uh, Africa's population is exploding, we have to do something about this, we have to do contraceptives, other things. And he's having such an impact on the policy of Africa. You say, how, why? Bill Gates is the second richest man in the world. Mm -hmm. With that, 
comes a lot of power. He's able to just go around the world and have an impact wherever he wants, right? He gives a lot of money to the World Health Organization. He gives a lot of money to these entities that control world policy. So we have to be very weary of people like that. You know, he puts on a smile, he has his glasses, he has his very chill demeanor, but no, he is, he has done a lot of crazy things, man. A lot of barbaric things. And to think that he's a friend of our people, man, I think is, is a misconception. I'm not just, you know what I'm saying? I understand he gives scholarships. I understand he has these programs. Uh, but who, who with money doesn't? You know what I'm saying? Especially at that type of money. You can do some good. I mean, you have, I mean, come on now. But I mean, when you look at the overall grand of things, no, you have to, you have to be very careful, um, especially when you consider our people, the condition of our people. Some of the first billionaires in America were slave owners, mm-hmm. right? We have some of the largest wealth inequality since we had since slavery. Right. So that means that, okay, yes, people are not necessarily um, on the plantation. Right. But in the same sense, if you're paid slave wages working for Amazon, you, you work, you pay slave wages working at Walmart, working at McDonald's, working at Kroger. Man, Kroger, initially, they changed their policy, but initially during the pandemic, they were only going to give their workers $25 gift cards. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying they were only going to give them $25 gift cards. That's it. Right, and there was pressure put on to expand some of the wages and the, and the expansion, but people are not treated right in these entities, man. The McDonald's is a billion dollar corporation. You're paying people seven dollars, seven bucks an hour. That's horrible, you know what I'm saying? Like, think about Popeye's too, right? The Popeye's chicken thing, you know, like that was a big thing, like the chicken sandwich, but think about those workers. Yeah. Overworked, they didn't get any extra money from the Popeye's chicken, even though they're making the sandwich, they're making the sandwich, they're taking the orders. They out there working over and over all day. Those lines were crazy in our community. Mm-hmm. Popeyes made millions, bro, millions, but there was no compensation for the people that work there. Extra compensation, right? There was no increased wages, you know, like no expansion to, to live on. So it's just, and I, I know I kind of drifted off the, uh, the thing, but you know, when we understand that the, the world we live in, uh, we have to be weary of a lot of things. And I think um, Africa, and I would say this is, as I end on this point, Africa is the richest country when it comes to natural resources. It's the Mm -hmm. richest, not even close, but it's the most exploited Mm -hmm. country. You know what I'm saying? It's been exploited for a mighty long time and it's still being exploited. Um, And I think we as, you know, uh, descendants of of Africans in America, Black diaspora, we have to have a connectedness, right? That's why Malcolm and others were connecting with Africa because it's important to have a connection throughout the Black diaspora, not just on the continent of Africa, but look at Brazil, Venezuela, um, all around, we have people of African descent that have been displaced, right? And, and put, but we all have a, um, a connectedness. We all have a similar oppressor too as well, things that impact us. So yeah, man, that's, um, yeah, that's a good point you brought up, bro, definitely. Yeah, with me, like because like the point when it comes to the point that I brought up, it's just funny to me how like they would want to go into they specifically chose Africa to want to go into, but Africa has some of the lowest COVID nineteen diagnosis rates mm-hmm. in the world. But like they never want to uh, go to places like Italy or places in other places in Europe or other places yeah. in Asia where the virus where the virus was quote unquote first found. Like why don't yeah, they want, why don't they want to test it on them? Why do they want to go test it on people that look like you and me? That's like that's that's what is like real funny to me, and that's yeah. why I feel like you know, 
when I look at Bill Gates, I look at him with a side eye, like, yo, like, I can't really, like, trust somebody like him. The fact that you chose that specific place, you mm. know, makes me wonder, like, what, what's your motive behind all mm. this? Right. That's true, bro. Yeah, that's true, man. Um, and uh, I think uh, I want to ask you this, too, um, as we're looking at um, what's happening around the world. Um, um, how, what is your response in regards to, like, how um, you're seeing the, the different reactions to the virus in different states? Like, um, also from the federal level, like, you know, like, there's really no guidance from mm-hmm. um, the White House. South Carolina was very slow moving in regards to putting the um, order in. I know Georgia, the governor was like, oh, like, I just found out that people can really be, can really get it, even though they know so symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, what been your response to, like, the, uh, the lack of leadership, the lack of direction um, uh, all, across, all across the country um, right now? Well, in terms of Georgia and uh, Governor Brian Kemp, I feel like he's lying when he said that. He knew that people can, you know, have it without showing symptoms. But in terms of where we're from, South Carolina, and uh, Henry McMaster, I feel like, you know, his, I don't think his response has been great, you know, especially since uh, he does have, like, influence, even though he's, like, the state, he, he runs the state, he does kind of have influence on, like, local policies. And that um, the fact that a $3 million plan was given was a pass that gives, you know, extra material for extra materials for the police, you know, I feel like that was a horrible um, response to what, well, to what's going on right now. And in terms of the top, you know, with Trump, with Trump's response to this whole pandemic, knowing that he, he was warned about it months before and he was just sitting there calling it a uh, democratic hoax. Like, and, he, and the fact that he uh, fired Obama's pandemic team that was that Obama had in place for situations mm-hmm. like this. So I just feel like the uh, leadership from leadership from the top on down has just been terrible in this country. Yeah, man, it has. Been. I think the the heels of capitalism have been shown. I don't, I don't know if people remember, but like the, one of the first press conferences, he had a press conference. We had this Walmart the CEO. I'm talking about Trump. He had a, he had a press conference with the CEO of Walmart, Target, CVS, Walgreens, and it was like, bro, it was really like a show. They were so happy to like yeah we sponsoring the COVID response you know you know all this money that's they're going to make off the suffering of people especially now where we're seeing our people right um and that's the ilk right of the Trump and you know like I said it's not just Trump it's many of them right that's come from that ilk of just not caring for our people right we have to understand um this history of America as we move forward because um that's the same type of ilk when we saw you know, the strange fruit hanging from the trees, man. It's the same type of ilk um, mm-hmm. from the plantations, man. Same type of ilk with the Jim Crow laws. You know, we're not far removed from that. And uh, we still see that that legacy continuing mm-hmm. uh, of not not caring for um, uh, our people, man. So it, it's, it's really been terrible, man, with the see what's happening from up top um, and seeing what's happening in other states, man. But... Um, you know, uh, I'm just, it's, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough recovery. It's going to be tough. Uh, these next few months are going to be tough. Um, and, uh, man, but I just hope people don't, you know, you got to keep fighting. We got to keep fighting, man. We got to keep fighting, especially for the most vulnerable amongst us, man. Because, uh, I mean, we think about, we've seen how other things have happened during our lifetime. The Bush, remember the Bush administration, Katrina, 
Mm-hmm. Man, even I think about that, right? Our people were held in the Superdome for days, bro, without any resources, no water, bro, no plumbing. It was horrible, right? And that happened in America, man. That didn't happen in, like, it wasn't somebody, that wasn't another country. That happened on American soil, right? So it, it has to be uh, a major, like, accountability and push, and we have to be demanding so much from our government during this time because uh, we cannot, the way it's going now, man, we cannot afford to continue to happen, right? Because I think, think some things are deeper, right? It's not just that black people are getting sick, but some black people are probably being turned away at the hospitals, right? You know, they're probably not the priority. Or do they have access to get to a hospital? Do they have cars? Do they have public transportation that can take them, mm-hmm. right? I and mean, what are the conditions they're living in? Um, you know, so there are a lot of things that, that, that have to be addressed right now and also after this, uh, this crisis um, because um, we can't continue to go on like this, especially in our community, seeing the atrocities um, that are impacting our people, man. You know, so, yeah, got to be committed, man, to the, free, the black freedom of struggle. And um, you talked about the hospitals. Now, I've seen documents where hospitals are giving orders by the state, by some states, to list people who may not even have COVID-19, but may have, but may have similar symptoms to COVID-19. They may yeah. be... Like some people are listed then as having COVID-19 and by doing that, it inflates the numbers of people with the coronavirus. Like what are your, what are your thoughts on like people inflating those type of numbers, even though like those people may not even have it. They may be in there for like the flu or pneumonia, but they're being diagnosed with the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting thing. Um, I think that, um, it's, it's, too, it's, it's kind of, like, I kind of have two sides to it because it's like one of the things where people inflate the numbers, which is, um, can throw off, right? It can make people think like, oh, more people have it. When we think about it though, I think that um, the numbers that we have now are not necessarily accurate to the people that have, I think it's, I think it's a lot more people that have it that are not being, that's not being shared because a lot of people may not be getting tested, may not have access to the test, or may just, um, may not be going to get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think the numbers are actually probably higher um, than they're being reported. Um, yeah, that's why I have to say on that. I mean, I don't, I don't know too much about the intricates of, of, of the, the policies that you're talking about, but I, I would say for sure that I think the numbers are higher um, than are being reported. But, uh, but yeah, I think it is. It's not right for someone to be um, <laughs> inflating the numbers if they're doing that in the sense of like putting down that they have it. Um, if that's not the answer, if that's not actually the case. All right. Well, well, that's like all I really have to talk about um, today. Uh, Aaron, can you tell like people where like they can, you know, since you do work with social justice, can you like tell people how we as a public can help you and the people around you in your fight to help people get just basic human rights? Yeah, 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 man. Um, yeah. So um, I would just say, well, let me try to, I'm not trying to go on too long, but uh, I would say first of all, um, uh, the best thing to do when it comes to like the advocacy aspect is always to get like proximate or, or close to uh, people that are uh, vulnerable or, or suffering. So like for instance, in my case, um, advocating for um, people that are incarcerated, their rights, you know, um, one of the things that I've done, I've, I made sure that I've gotten closer 
um, with that community, people that are, I communicate with people that are currently incarcerated, I communicate with people that are formerly incarcerated, and I, mean, I communicate with a lot of activists in that space to learn and to organize before we're pushing certain ideas, you wanna get the perspective of those that are incarcerated. So I think what's important is to have that framework when you're, um, whatever you're advocating for, make sure that you are connecting with those that are, um, um, that are really um, that are really suffering and the most vulnerable amongst us. Because I've always believed the most vulnerable really hold the keys to liberation because they understand it from a perspective of not only seeing it, but they're going through it every day. Um, and they really have a different framework and view of what freedom may look like. Because um, sometimes we could be in a privileged state where we're not incarcerated, we're not in poverty, we're not living like this. And so we may not, our, our view on freedom may be different. But those that are really, they really know what it means and it extends to every person. Right. Um, I think uh, uh, to definitely get involved uh, with organizations in your community, um, I, I can't, I don't know, everybody's watching, so I can't necessarily say, but I think um, finding out who the, who, you know, who are the organ those organizers in your community, those organizations you respect, and also if they're not those organizations, what are people you know that they have common beliefs as you have, and how can you all form coalitions um, mm -hmm. in your community? Um, and build together, right? Even if you, even if you know, you may have some different points on things, but if your focus is on the freedom struggle uh, for Black people, your focus is on the freedom struggle for vulnerable people um, across this world. I think you can find some ways to work together on those issues, and and definitely, you, and during this time, using your utilizing your platforms like Twitter, Instagram, uh, webinars. You know, I definitely encourage you. We, me and my friend Paige Woods, we started a page at Resist the Rona. Um, on Instagram, um, it's at Resist the Rona, and we're sharing information about organizations that are doing great work during this time. Um, you could be donating to organizations during this time that are doing great work. There are a lot of mutual aids. I'm currently um, helping with one in New Jersey. We're raising money for people, people's families that are formerly incarcerated. They're helping them during this time. Um, there are a lot of organizations that are delivering groceries to um, elderly community. Um, there are organizations that are, you know, um, providing basic resources to communities, organizations that are advocating for those that are currently incarcerated. Um, so yeah, man, there are a lot of things that, that, that people can be involved. I definitely encourage um, um, taking some time to study some of the greats, great minds of current day, uh, the past. Um, you know, some of my favorites are Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, George Jackson, Mumia Abu-Jamal, um, Malcolm X, you can just, you can go on YouTube, put on a Malcolm X video and just kind of relax and just learn. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's so many, so many, um, so many people that I, that I learn from daily. Um, and even this, right, what we're doing now is conversation. I'm um, having a conversation with your peers and really growing and building um, is, is, is vast and important. Um, yeah, man, there's so much that people get involved with. Uh, it's kind of tough to really, because it's like, I can't hear people's questions in the way to direct them. But what I would say is, um, um, Jonathan, if people reach out to you, definitely connect them with me. Um, mm -hmm. so I have no problem with, you know, talking to them and, and having a conversation that way. Um, to kind of, you know, point them to some more organizations that are doing um, um, some very good work during this time. Um, you know, have these stimulus checks coming out. You know, people, if you have it, if you're blessed, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying give your check, your whole check to somebody, you know, I mean, if you, you know, but maybe give a percentage. Think about that. Give a percentage of your check um, to buy some resources for somebody during this time. Um, the reason why I'm pushing that is because we're going to need community like we probably never needed before in our lifetime uh, because there's going to be massive unemployment. 
Um, there's going to be massive um, inequality when it comes to economics that we've, we've seen, but it's going to be at a bigger level. We're talking about Great Depression, Great Depression type levels uh, when it comes to um, the lack of resources because the government is not necessarily giving it when it's twelve hundred dollars, right? That's that's not much. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a form of of activism. That's revolutionary. I mean, you look at the Black Panthers; they provided healthcare clinics, food pantries. I mean, these type of actions, man, are powerful. When you when you're providing food and 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 clothing and resources to people, that is an action. So. It doesn't have to be something on a grand scale where you're joining this big organization. It can be you providing for somebody that you know in your community that needs something, right? And you all can start something like that where you're helping people in your community. Um, that, is, that is powerful action um, that's needed. I think after this crisis is over, like I said, get involved, city council, go to those meetings, uh, put that accountability and report back to people. If everybody's not privileged to go to city council meetings, start a club where you're sending emails, say, hey, this happened to city council this week. I'm fortunate to go because I don't have children. I don't have... I can get off my job. You know, it's that type of organizing is important. It doesn't have to be on a grand scale. Like you're giving, I have a dream speech. No, you know, it starts a micro, any movement, there's millions of people involved. They're doing, they're doing so many different things. Right. So, you know, I think the celebrity culture that we have in America just is, is, is really bad in a sense because it makes people think, Oh, they got to be known for it. They have to be praised. No, when you look at the history of history of it, September Clark from South Carolina, she trained thousands of people to be activists during the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. I'm saying Dr. called her the, the mother of the movement. You know what I'm saying? And she's not talked about it a lot, but her impact is felt, man. What she did, she trained thousands of people, a graduate of Benedict College, Columbia, South Carolina. So people just, you know, just understand what you're doing of taking care of people. Just take care of people. That's all I can say right now. Take care of people that you know around you, that you can feel and touch. Take care of people. That's the best thing you can do right now. People that you know in your community, uh, people that you may not know, you can just send out a message on Facebook. Hey, does anybody need help during this time? Does anybody, you know, just things like that. If you can just spare something, you know, if you know people that are working in grocery stores during this time, they're working in essential places. Hey, send them some money. Say, hey man, send you, you know, like I know you're working out here at the grocery store at Kroger or Target. Hey man, I just want to send you some money because I know this is a tough time for you. You know, just, 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 just things like that, brother. Just things like that that I feel like um, um, uh, that that we can be doing, man. We could be doing. Um, I know we posted in, but do you want to end on a topic that uh, that that's beyond this? Maybe we can talk about something sports related, or music related, or something like that. Well, uh, sports related, you know, me being a Carolina Panthers fan, you know, it hasn't been good for my team. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, us cutting Cam Newton. Uh, us trading Trey Turner. What do you think about the uh, the IG battles? Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it a lot. I really, really do. I I really enjoyed the T Pain and Tory Lanez. No, yeah, not T Pain and Lil John battle. Uh, y'all y'all go listen to my previous episode for my recap on that. Right, 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 right. But yeah, like, but yeah, like I I enjoy all, all the people you know going IG live and these IG battles, you know, because. During this time, I feel like even though like people are, you know, quote unquote quarantine, like the IG lives, like they're a way for people to come together to enjoy something. Yeah. Yeah, There's a way to come together, man, and 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 just have that time. And I think that's important too, you know, just to come together and just enjoy stuff, man, and 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 celebrate. So that's been helping me just talking to my friends and some of these um Zoom parties and stuff, man. And Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, ble- really blessed to have this technology, man. Um, 
And uh, but and be real, everybody doesn't have that. So um, I always remember that you know everybody doesn't necessarily have the technology and things. So um, but man, um, but yeah, man, it's talking to you, bro. Um, kind of talk about uh, um, maybe a different topic because you know you know me and you man, we can we can um, we, we can go back we can go back and talk about a lot of stuff. But man, uh, it's it's been great. Um, you know, I don't know if you have any more questions. No, nah, I ain't have any more questions. But um, okay. I I I appreciate you for coming on. And uh, this has been another episode, this has been another episode of Reality Roundtable. And uh, you know, just join me next time. <laughs>